chapter 6. It's right up there. It's correct up there. Mark chapter 6. We're going to skip a couple of verses in here, beginning in the 30th verse. Hear now the word of the Lord. The apostles gathered around Jesus, and they told him everything that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As Jesus went ashore, he saw the great crowd, and he had compassion on them. For they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Skip down with me to verse 53. When they had crossed back over, they came to the land of the Gesinerat and moored the boat. And when they got out of the boat, the people at once recognized him. And they rushed about that whole region and began to bring the sick on mats and whatever they had, wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, to villages or cities or farms, he, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that he might even touch the fringe of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We pick up Mark's story in the middle of a swirl of travel and activity. Jesus and his disciples were busy. They were successful. They were prosperous. Crowds were following them. People were clamoring for them. People were being healed and delivered, freed from the bondages of sin and disease. This is the very height of Jesus' public earthly ministry. In fact, he was so popular that he, had, he was growing exponentially. He was multiplying his work. He had sent out his disciples. These men and women who had left everything to follow him, to be his students, his disciples. He turned and he sent them out. He made them apostles. And they went into the, all the surrounding areas and they, they taught and they healed. Our passage began with the disciples returning and telling Jesus all that had happened as they had been sent and returned. We're in a summer camp season right now, a time when we send off our children and our teens. Not so much this year, we're still kind of in the Nazarene church and kind of a COVID hangover and our camps aren't kind of fired back up yet. But, but we send them off traditionally and they go off to camp and they get fired up and they get excited and they rush back home and they explode with all sorts of verbal energy. They, they just rain words down upon us when they're excited about their experiences. Pastors are not immune from this either. We go off to conferences and we learn about something new. And, and we come back and we're eager to try some kind of new program. I imagine that's what the disciples were doing. Just bubbling over with excitement. Telling the story. Interrupting one another. As story after story. As event after event is unfolded before Jesus. You could not believe what we did Christ. We healed and we taught. And finally Jesus says hey guys. I'm going to need you to simmer down. We're going to need to calm down for a little bit. How about we go away. Go off to a desert place. 
for a bit of vacation. And so he invites, he brings his disciples off to a deserted place. Such is where the kingdom of God begins. In the wilderness, in those deserted places, in those places that most of us drive through trying to get to somewhere else. The barren world of deserts. The dry place without home or safety. In the beginning of Mark's gospel, Jesus, he arrives fully formed. And the very first thing he does after he is baptized and named is goes off into the desert. He goes off into the wilderness, presumably to pray or study or do something. But there he is confronted by the devil and tempted. Here, Jesus invites the disciples to a deserted place, to a, a wilderness place, presumably to rest and refresh. But don't you know that the troubles of the world follow him there? There is no retreat. There is no safe quarter. The chaos of people's needs finds Christ wherever he is. There in the desert place, he has a miracle. We, we skipped over it. He feeds the 5,000. But still the problems of the world pursue him as he is coming back. The, the wind is blowing against the disciples and Jesus walks on water. Usually those are the two stories we see, we focus on. The, the big things, the feeding of, of multiple people, the walking upon the water. Those are the exciting things in the gospel. Today we're, we're looking before that. Focusing on that one thing that is often overlooked and yet foundational to who God is and how we are to be positioned towards the world. It's found in verse 34. As he went ashore, Jesus saw the great crowd and he had compassion on them. For they were like sheep without a shepherd. For many religions, both modern and primitive, deities have been regarded to one degree or another as ominous. As wrathful or vengeful, angry and vindictive. A variety of religions, they, they teach their adherents to approach their deities only through very carefully devised and crafted spiritual rituals. Often functioned by a priestly, func or often done, supervised by a priestly functionaries. To, to quote the most revered theologian, Vanilla Ice. You got a problem, yo, I'll solve it. Check out the hook while my DJ revolves it. I realize that by making that joke, I have lost a segment of you for the rest of the service. But that's how it works. And by the way, it's great job security for me in the priestly class. You have a problem and you need a God to fix it. And so you have to come to me with some kind of act of oblation. And I will say the special words, the magical incantation. And I will make sure that the angry, vengeful God consumed by wrath does not strike you down. But then we are confronted here by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We come in here and when we find the God revealed to us in Scripture, fully revealed to us in Jesus Christ, having raised Him from the dead, 
The same God that first delivered the people of Israel from bondage. And this God is different. This God doesn't wait for us to come to heaven. This God doesn't sit back angrily on his wrathful throne, waiting to be vengeful upon us. This God doesn't make magical incant or force magical incantations upon us. This God comes to us. We often use the words holy or just to describe our God, and, and God is holy and just. But so often we have baggage with those things. Those words seem to set up boundaries and divisions, separations and obstacles for us to get over, to get to God. For God's holiness and God's justness are often separations. They are layers of division showing us just how different, how far we are from our Creator. And yet our God transcends those boundaries. Our God is the one who reaches out to us over and over. God steps over those divisions. God reaches across the separation. And we call that compassion. Compassion comes from a Latin word meaning suffering with, pater cum. Paul put it this way in Philippians 2, 7. Christ did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, something to be held on to, something to be uh, uh, cherished. But rather, Christ emptied himself. He gave up his privileges. He made himself nothing to become a servant. Paul uses a word there in the Greek meaning, or excuse me, the word is kenosis. It means to, to pour out, to empty. You have a jug of water. And you are holding in your hand and you're walking through the kitchen and you trip and you pour out the, the, uh, the water all over the floor only to be yelled at by your spouse for making a mess. That's what Jesus did. That's what God did through Christ. Jesus poured himself out. He made himself nothing. Oliver Davies says that that act, that kenotic act, that self-emptying and pouring out is the very heart of compassion. Quote, compassion is a self-giving, self-opening activity that allows yourself to be at risk for the other. When Jesus sees that crowd of people, he sees them wandering through the desert place, hungry and lost, without a leader, desiring understanding and acceptance, and he has compassion for them. Jesus enters into their suffering with them. Jesus doesn't sit high and privileged on a throne looking down with pity. Jesus doesn't feel with them in their aimless desperation. Jesus doesn't have empathy or sympathy. He enters into the hurt with them. He comes to them without pretense or privilege into the wilderness of their pain. This is who God reveals himself to be in Christ Jesus. The God who comes to us who does not leave us or abandon us, who finds us at the very point when we are hurting and lost and joins us there. But that is also who God has always been. 
You see, it wasn't the brokenness of the world that elicited some kind of new response from God. I want you to hear me in this because this gets this is important. God has always first and foremost been a God of compassion. Long before the the first word of creation was spoken, God was a divine being of self-dispossession. The Father gave Himself in a gift of love to the Son. And the Son received that gift and responded, not by returning it straight, but by giving that gift of love to the Father through the Holy Spirit, a half step away towards reciprocity. What I'm saying here is that God is a risk-taking God all the way down. The Father empties Himself to the Son. The Son returns that gift of divinity through the Spirit back to the Father. The self-emptying, the pouring out that Paul talks about. That's what we see here in Mark, and it comes from the very heart of who God is. We worship a Creator that is not vindictive, or powerful, that is not so much awesome in might, but a compassionate creator who transcends the very concept of divinity to be near us. And this is in turn who God calls us to be. Our our greatest act of worship is not singing songs. It's not lifting hands in gratitude or praise or thanksgiving, though all of those things are very important. Our greatest act of worship is when we receive the grace and gift of compassion from the Father and we return it to God, not by giving thanks to Him, but by giving it on to another. By having that same self-emptying, pouring out love that debases and finds those who are hurting and cares for them. Henry Nouwen puts it this way. Compassion asks us to go where it hurts. To enter into places of pain, to share in brokenness, fear, confusion, and anguish. Compassion challenges us to cry out with those in misery, to mourn those who are lonely, to mourn with those who are lonely, to weep with those in tears. Compassion requires us to be weak with the weak, vulnerable with the vulnerable, and powerless with the powerless. Compassion means full immersion in the condition of being human. William A. Barry said it this way, Jesus does not give us a list of truths to affirm, but he gives us a task to carry out. Compassion is that task. Compassion is how we talk. Compassion is how we think. Compassion for our enemies. Compassion for those who hurt us. Compassion for the hurting and the weak. We are to be people who pour out our lives for one another, for those who have been overlooked and abused, for those who are hurting and weak. I was, uh, I was in Cuba on a work and witness trip, and there was a, a member of the group that, that there were a couple, they weren't from North Carolina, they were from Florida, and they just kind of tagged along to all of the mission trips. They were a little weird. All year, that's what they did. They, they saved up their vacation days. They saved up all of their extra money. And they would go on as many work and witness trips as they could. These are trips that, that non-missionaries go on. And they, they go and you do, a, you do a building project in another world, in another country. If you go to another world, it's going to cost a little more than what we normally pay. 
you got to be friends with Jeff Bezos. What I didn't know is that they showed up with like, like three or four baggage. And I remember seeing them in the Florida airport down there in Miami. I thought, what trip are they going on? Why do they have so many baggage? I had my one little thing. What I didn't know is that every work and witness trip they went on, they would go buy a whole new wardrobe. They'd go buy all new clothes and all new tools. And while they were there, while they were serving in Cuba or Guatemala, while they were giving uh, themselves in, in Dominica, they would give out their gear as people had need. I remember seeing the husband getting on the plane in, in Havana, wearing a t-shirt and flip-flops and a smile and a full heart. People don't see the church anymore as a place of healing the way they did Jesus. People don't clamor in here with their brokenness and their pain the way they did Jesus. People were flocking to him with all of their needs thrown out for everyone to see. Now we go to therapists or physicians, we go to self-help books or ibuprofen, but they don't here come here. And I just wonder if it's not because we have forgotten this most important thing. This self-emptying love. This suffering with another. May God have mercy. And may God break our hearts so that we are poured out for many. To be the servant of all. Amen.